0: Like the office they commemorate, presidential libraries are living institutions. Certainly, it is my hope that the Reagan Library will become a dynamic intellectual forum where scholars interpret the past and policymakers debate the future.
1: Welcome to a Reagan Forum, hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. The Center for Public Affairs offers lectures and forums presenting perspectives on important public policy issues of the day from politicians, authors, members of the media, business and military leaders, and more. In this week's Reagan Forum podcast, we go back to our virtual event with best-selling authors Marcus Brotherton and Tosca Lee for their latest book, The Long March Home, a riveting coming-of-age tale of friendship, courage, and sacrifice set in the true story of World War II, the Bataan Death March, and a life as a POW. This is our third event with Marcus. We've previously held events with him for his books, A Bright and Blinding Sun and *Blaze of Light, which are both biographies of war veterans. In The Long March Home, Marcus and Tosca remind readers that freedom isn't free. Let's listen. Hi, I'm Melissa. Thank you for joining us today. We are joined with Marcus Brotherton and Tosca Lee um, for their new book, um, Long March Home. I have to start by saying I read A ton, and my favorite genre is historical fiction. And I actually read a lot of historical fiction that is World War II based, but happens to be more on the European side. So I was fascinated by the fact that this was more on the Pacific um, and really covered that side of the war, which I don't think a lot of historical fiction covers. So I guess my first question to either of you or both of you is what made you choose the Pacific for uh, for this story?
0: We really wanted to see this side of the war uh, receive a spotlight as well. As you're saying, uh, the European theater uh, does receive more uh, press, I guess, uh, than than the Pacific side of things. And it's not a comparison, it's not sort of a, uh, you know, a fisticuff battle here between the two theaters, but we just wanted to make sure that the veterans who fought in the Pacific uh, were honored in this way.
1: So we were sort of joking before we were recording, that this is the third Memorial Day event in a row, where we have held an event with you, Marcus. Um, So I guess I kind of have two questions in this one question. One, how the heck are you writing so fast that you're releasing a book every year? But on the flip side, and this can get to both of you, I know that this book was actually a work of passion that I think took 12 years. So um, I guess my first part of the question is, is it your goal to turn over a book every year, or is it just coincidence that we get to do an event with you every year?
0: It's just coincidence, yeah. It's just the production schedule when when the actual books came out. I think the first year we were talking about the paperback version of Gary Binkerick's book, and then last year it was a it was a trade paper and non or a trade uh, hardback and nonfiction. Uh, this this book has actually been written for twelve years and it's just come out, so it's just coinciding with them all, yeah.
1: Um, and so all of your books but obviously this book um so research heavy can you talk about the process of how you write a book that has to be exact in so many ways
0: research is really an important key and uh is an amazing researcher as well And, and so she was able to augment what i was doing for this as well fortunately uh talking with actual veterans is is a big part of what I do as well for about 10 years almost solely I was interviewing World War II veterans uh, the last two veterans I've talked to have been 101 and 103 uh and, and both men very sharp very astute so uh you know unfortunately we're really losing this the, this great generation at, a, at really an alarming rate so we want to record as many of these stories as we can before they're they're all gone it's yeah, been
2: absolutely really- it's been really fascinating and wonderful, and also harrowing and insp- inspiring to dig into these survivor accounts. Um, they are they are so detailed, amazingly detailed, um, and it's been so inspirational for us to to read and study them um, and piece together what was happening all throughout uh, the Philippines during World War II. Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I want to keep it on you, Tosca, for a second. Um, so our last, as we just said, our last two events with Marcus were, um, were nonfiction books um, about true heroes of war. Um, this is a novel. This is historical fiction. And, Tosca, so you're a novelist. So how did the two of you get connected? What brought you into this book? And, and talk about um, sort of your part of this process.
2: Well, it was a, a love of writing and storytelling that brought us together as friends, and Marcus reached out to me uh, several years ago, over over a decade ago. Um, he had written a, a novel, and he asked if I would consider endorsing it, and I read it, loved it. It was a great novel called Feast for Thieves. It won a Christie Award, and so I endorsed that. And then several years later, around 2017, Marcus called me up and said, hey, listen, I'm working on this project about the Bataan Death March, Uh, three best friends who are stationed in the Philippines when all of this happens. And would you be interested in writing the story with me? And to be very honest with you, I was not familiar with what was going on in the Pacific theater. And so he had to quickly fill me in on the phone. Um, And when I said, yes, I think this is this is going to be a really good story. I would love to be part of it. Um, then the research and the education for me truly began. And so it's it's a love of storytelling. It's a love of sharing history also, but through the vehicle of something very immersive that places the, the reader, that seats the reader directly in, in the midst of the action, uh, mm-hmm. seeing it and experiencing it through the main character's eyes.
1: And that actually leads to my next question perfectly, really for both of you. So it's, um, I know I keep repeating myself, but you know, historical fiction, the, the, there's there a lot of truth in this book and then there's a lot of character in this book. So is that sort of how it was split? I mean, is, I'm assuming the truth is what happened to the Philippines, what happened the Baton Death March, how the soldiers and POWs were treated, um, and that, that the, the, the core message behind the book is all true. Right. And then the fiction is that these characters were created for the novel portion. Is that right? And how did you each split sort of the duties of of writing that?
0: It it all started um, back in back in 2010. Actually, Uh, I had read an oral history project of of the Bataan Death March. And Tosca's response to this era in history is really what started it all off. even when I had that, it's like, wow, I mean, I had heard about it before, um, but I wasn't super familiar with it. And so to, to kind of plunge into that subject and go, this really happened. And there's plenty of people who don't know that it happened. And so we've got to do something about that. Uh, it, it was an educational piece, I think, that, that started it all off, just a big education motivation. And so um, at the, when I started this manuscript, really, I, I'm a nonfiction writer. I, I've done, you know, one novel before this, but Tosca is a specialist in fiction. And, and we knew that um, sometimes readers cross between jo- genres like that and sometimes they don't. So we, we really wanted to get a kind of a, a wide of swath of, of readership that we could in this. So I worked on this manuscript by myself for seven years, it was unfunded at the start, it was a passion project kind of on the back burner. I finally got it to a place where it was a good working manuscript. I sent it out to some early readers and the response that I got back, it was good, it was very good in some places, but it wasn't great, it was kind of that B plus, A minus, and I wanted it to go to A plus. Uh, Our veterans deserve it. So I was was talking to my agent and he said, you know, you've been working on this thing for so long. He said, you're probably too close to the canvas. Uh, Why don't you get a collaborator in and work on it together? Hopefully you'll gain some perspective. I had read a number of Tosca's books along the way, just as a a sheer uh, joy. She's an excellent writer. And we'd known each other from, from her endorsing that previous novel of mine. So I called her up and said, Tosca, how'd you like to do something just incredible?
2: So these characters were rooted in the original manuscript that, that Marcus had started, and Marcus was generous enough to say, you know, run with these characters and, and do what you will. And so um, being able to to add to their backstory, being able to follow them and being able to um, continue to knit together the, the real events that form their experience, um, that, that is the combination of fiction and fact in the story.
1: Well, I'm not exaggerating when I say I could not put the book down. I think it was like two sittings. I didn't want it to be, I wanted it to be one sitting, but I had somewhere to go. Um, uh, So well achieved. The the book was fabulous. Um, Whose idea, because now I'm curious, was it to jump back and forth between the war and the memories?
2: I I can't remember. How did we come up with that? Was that something it was a shared that. idea.
0: We we had a lot of conversations where we just hashed things out, sort of um, you know, sort of dismantled things and then took them apart and then put them back together again. And and we knew that um this time period in history is so gritty. But we we have to go real here. We have to go and and sort of show readers what truly happened. At the same time when you when you go nonstop intense Combat, just combat, combat, combat. It's, it's actually it's hard for the reader um, to just sort of stay immersed in 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 the intensity of it all. And then really, if you can help lift every once in a while and gain some perspective, and then go back into the intensity, uh, the experience is more powerful. You, you gain some perspective along the way, and then you can re-enter uh, the historical side of things again. So that's that was really the idea behind the the two timelines there.
2: We really wanted to also show uh, th- through their growing up how these three characters, Jimmy, Hank, and Billy, who are not who are not related by blood, how they became brothers through their shared experiences growing up together. So it's a it's a coming of age story as much as a war story, and it's that that bond of brotherhood between them that helps sustain them through these uh, horrific events that that happened in this chapter of history.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's really a book about family, and I'm trying to be very careful with my questions because I don't want to give anything away. Um, but in reading the book jacket, I really thought one thing of how the outcome of the book would be, and I was obviously not correct. Um, and and um, it just, like I said, I keep, it, fabulous, just such a great read. Um, and speaking of the writing process, this question's for Tosca. Um, I was on your website, and I'm going to read this question. Um, There there was a list of questions you had been asked, and you answered them on your website. And someone asked you the best advice you would give on writing. And you said to do your part, do the work, and then surrender the results. And I wonder if that process is different when you are a co-author of a book versus writing the book on your own.
2: I don't think so. Um, I think that it's really nice to have another another person there, another brain to bounce things off of, um, and it feels very much like a, a safety net in some ways because you're not on your own, you're not second guessing yourself. But at the end of the day, and Marcus and I talk about this all the time, and there comes a point when you've done everything you possibly can. You've you've we did so many um, edits, we did so many revisions, so many rewrites of this novel. Um, And there comes a point when you turn it in and you say this is the best that we can do. And the goal is that with two of us that we've done better than one of us could have done alone. And I think we've achieved that. And at the end of the day, then you do you surrender the results because you've reached the end of what you're able uh, to do at that point. It's out in the world. Sure.
1: Um, now, Marcus, uh, just a few minutes ago, you you mentioned how you've interviewed a lot of veterans, and you just spoke to I think you said a hundred one year old or a hundred and three year old. Um, so, in the beginning of your book, um, the the three friends are serving, um, and Pearl Harbor is attacked, and then right after that, where they are, the Japanese fighter planes come overhead and start dropping bombs, and your main character, um, Jimmy Protfeld, um makes the comment in the book that, I can't remember if he was saying it to himself or out loud, I think it was to himself, but it went from being in this beautiful land and serving and having a wonderful time with his friends and his brothers and you know going out to clubs to seeing war and that he, when he signed up for the war, he never thought he'd see the war. And that really struck me because um, as you may recall, when we did this with you last year, we had a World War II exhibition. And so I had just this, distinct honor and privilege to speak to um, a dozen or so World War II veterans. And more often than not, they said they signed up and never thought they'd see war. And then when they saw war, they were just so shocked by it. Is this a common theme? Is this something you, um, you hear from the veterans that you speak with?
0: Yeah, particularly the veterans who have fought in the Pacific Um, and and you had to realize as well that Adam Akos and I, we did an oral history project with veterans who fought in the Pacific. And so we've talked to a lot of these gentlemen by now, and and we've heard this story, um, particularly if they're fighting in the Philippines, they were often signing up before Pearl Harbor. And so it was a different dynamic then and um, uh, America is still coming out of the Great Depression. And so military life offers the chance for, and we hear this phrase, three hots and a cot, right? Three hot meals and a bed to sleep. It's a job. Uh, and, and it's a noble job. Uh, the, the young men definitely want to do their duty, but they're often motivated by coming out of the depression. Uh, perhaps they've come from a large family of origin where, um, you know, three hot meals a day just wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they, they went to the Philippines and at first uh, it was idyllic duty. It was uh, it was called Manila, the Pearl of the Orient, right? That was the, the kind of the phrase of the day. And um, the Philippines drew soldiers uh, because of its plum duty. Boy, the sun is out. Uh, we're kind of working half days at the start because surely the war is far away in Europe. And then Pearl Harbor hits 10 hours later, the Philippines are attacked and it's completely different.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So speaking of that, right, so pre Pearl Harbor, it's almost a vacation and it's a job, but it's it's this experience of, you know, three hot meals and and, and a place to sleep. Um, And then the war happens and then the Bataan Death March happens now. as I said earlier, a lot of the reading I do happens to be on the European side, but I still know about the death march. I know how horrendous it was, but even knowing what I knew, reading those sections in your book were so hard to read. Um, how much of that, and probably your answer's all of it, but how much of that really was fact over fiction?
2: All
1: of it. Yeah, So, can you, so can you talk to, our viewers um, and sort of give a um, overview of what your three main characters had to endure so that they can under people can understand what really happened during that time
2: for those who had survived the war that started within 10 hours of the bombing of pearl harbor and lasted until april 9th of 1942 which resulted in the allied surrender um, this, the war previous to the death march was a war of logistics as much as anything because the allied forces were outgunned and outprovisioned and outmanned. And and so by the time of the surrender, they were already starving, they were already sick. Many of them had met malaria, dysentery, all kinds of things. Um, they were starving. And so uh, the, the march, when they were marched out of the Bataan Peninsula North, 60 miles in six days, in these conditions, in the intense heat, without food or water, if you stop to relieve yourself, if you stop to help somebody, if you stop to try to get a drink of water, pick a mango, whatever it was, you would be bayoneted or shot or beheaded. Um, the The accounts are horrendous, and the columns of these men just marching, marching, marching these 60 miles, unending. Um, there were at least some 6,000 men who died in those six days just from the March of
1: More from our Reagan Forum with Marcus Brotherton and Tosca Lee after this message.
3: The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself, and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give.
1: Now back to our Reagan Forum with Marcus Brotherton and Tosca Lee. Post war, um, once the Allies have won, what happened to the soldiers that were leading these marches, leading these camps? Um, did, were they jailed? Were they? Do, do you know?
0: Uh, some, some of them were. There were war trials, and in uh, some of the some of the high, highest ranking officials were. It was really a system of indoctrination that we have to realize was so different from um, the 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 West's worldview, even to use that term. Um, the concept of mercy was different. In in America, we have this Judeo-Christian uh, worldview where mercy is oh yes, yeah, showing compassion for someone. In in that imperial uh, imperial Japanese worldview, um, if you surrendered. Uh, that was considered the lowest of the low, and so they had been trained uh, not to show compassion for the enemy. If they showed compassion, well, that was weakness. And if a soldier had had surrendered, well, that was the worst of the worst. So the Allied soldiers, when when they did, uh, they were ordered to surrender. Um, it was it, it was just kind of the the worst convergence of worldviews.
1: Um, Now, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing this right, but um, in your book, um, you bring in a a character who is a real person. Um, Her name is Philippa Kulala, if I'm saying that right. Can you talk about why you wanted to add her to your story and and, and the truth behind her?
2: I think Marcus is the one who found her, historically speaking, and brought her into the story. So Marcus... It's me? fascinating
0: this uh, this female guerrilla fighter who's uh, Filipino in in origin, uh, wanting to defend her homeland, and so she was a, a real person and she gathered unto herself uh, any number of of uh, her own countrymen and, and and fellow freedom fighters, and then a certain amount of Americans uh, escaped and they were uh, you know sort of roaming throughout the uh, the wasteland of the Philippines by that point, and so she gathered them to herself so she was she was known to wage her war in various clandestine ways and 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 lead these these armies of men a fascinating person and and a fascinating uh, job that she did
1: and do we know what happened to her did she survive the war
0: she did not uh, as a matter of fact she was executed by her fellow guerrillas in 1943 i believe it was uh they accused her of financial impropri- impropriety and and uh, off of their head
1: so yeah okay not the answer i was <laughs> expecting
2: <that laughs> not one. what we were hoping for <laughs>
1: um so a little bit ago we were talking about the death march and i mentioned how that is a part of history that i knew about a part of history i did not know about was um and i was just horrified by it um when i was reading the chapter when the ships filled with the POWs were were moving, and American planes were flying overhead, not knowing that the ships were carrying American POWs and Filipino POWs, and so the American planes were bombing the ships, thinking they were attacking, you know, the Japanese. And I think I think I saw in your book 5,000 American soldiers died when they were so close to post-war. Um, can you talk about that as part of our history?
2: Japan had not uh, ratified the Geneva Convention, and so these ships were not marked that they had POWs on them. And so uh, the American planes had no way of knowing that the holds were filled full of these POWs bound for Japan uh, to go work in the mines, so. Um, It is true. And and ships sank and and there were still even a a few survivors miraculously enough.
1: It's so horrific. Um, So you were talking earlier, Tosca, about how um, it's the story of these three friends who are really, the three brothers who are really friends um, uh, because they're not blood related. Um, And I really think that is the overall, takeaway from your book is this book is about friendship, this book is about family, Um, and it really shows how friendship gets these soldiers through difficult times, through war. Um, When you decided to write this book, and maybe this question's for Marcus, um, and you knew you wanted to write about what happened in the Pacific Theater and you wanted to talk about the death march, what ultimately made you decide to really make it a story about friendship?
2: Yeah, that that one started with marcus so marcus you should answer we, we had
0: to know the characters first we had to know them as real people um, and, and they make this they make this vow between themselves that they're all going to come home alive that's at least their initial vow uh the book prompts the question i think for the reader uh how far would you go to to help a friend of yours which is certainly a question for today uh, you know everybody has got issues that they're going through Uh, truly, how far, uh, how much will will our love extend in practical ways uh, to help those who are in need? Hmm.
2: One of the things that really jumped out of the true survivor accounts that I'll never forget is the fact that some of the survivors said those who made it through were those who had friends to help look out after them. And that completely made sense in that context.
1: So we keep talking about the three friends, but there's really four friends um, because we haven't talked about Claire, um, and I love how she is related to one of them and is you know potentially a girlfriend of another one and you know just the the way she ties the three of them. She's like the glue that binds them all together. Um, can you talk about her character?
2: Claire is Billy's older sister, and Claire's the the original friend uh, to Jimmy. So Jimmy grew up with Claire. Claire and Billy's mom is best friends with Jimmy's mom. So he's known her since they were both in the cradle. So since they were toddlers and they were picking blackberries together and and following their moms around. And so he has this long history with Claire and he was there of course, then when Billy came into the picture as well. And Claire's the person that he knows and and loves and is best friends with uh, most in the world. Hank came along a little later in third grade. But Claire was the original one. And, and there's a moment as he's growing up when he realizes that no one understands the, the tilt of her head or the curl of her lip or the tone of her voice better than him. And um, and it is a story of of young romance and and young love as well.
1: Mm-hmm. As part of the
0: research, I had uh, interviewed uh, Catherine, Catherine Phillips, uh, who is the sister of Sid Phillips who had fought in, in the in the Pacific and and Catherine is a really the inspiration for much of of Claire. Uh, we wanted to give an idea of what's happening in the home front when when the boys are at war, what's happening at home? And really it's a it's a it's war as well. it's a different kind of war. Um, what would it be like for the people you care about most to go far across the world to fight a war and and not know if they're going to make it home?
1: Mm-hmm. So I guess Marcus, this question's probably for you, um, because mainly or mostly your books are nonfiction. I know you, we do have, the, you, have, you have the other novel we talked about, but um, because your books are mainly true stories about war, um, was it your intention to, to use the novel version and to use a story about friendship to educate people? About what happened in the Pacific Theater,
0: education and inspiration go hand in hand, absolutely. And Tosca's response, even when I called her, was was exactly what I'm looking for. Um, how can it be that here we are in 2023, and yet so many people don't know about this period of history? Oh, we've got to do something about this. And and even even myself, I had heard about it, but I didn't really know it. And so we we wanted to offer, um, because I had done oral history projects about guys who fought in the Pacific, and they certainly, they're they're valuable, they're an important piece of our history, the the oral history itself, Um, but oral history has its disadvantages, Uh, it it kind of skims along the the surface, it's kind of a, you know, at, at the bird's eye view there. And I wanted, I wanted an immersive experience, like a good story, a good movie, a good novel, takes you into the heart of the action, and it allows you to um, not only know things or learn things, but feel things. And that's really what I what I wanted in this project, plunging us all into this and going, okay, this happened. How will this now inform us, and how will this now inspire us?
1: Yeah. Do you think you will do more? historical fiction books in this way?
0: Uh, it's it's certainly the question that myself and, and a number of writers are talking about and, and Tosca and I've talked about this is as our veterans are are dying these days at alarming rates from World War II. Uh, it started out um, 16 million Americans served in World War II, And from that 16 million, we have about 250,000 left. So the stories are out there. They're harder to find these days. And in another, you know, 10 years, um, where will, where will we be? So uh, I think that fiction needs to probably take a more of a central role there in in keeping these stories alive.
2: Not, Not only the European stories, but the Pacific stories as well, because I'm a big believer that the stories that survive are the ones that get told. So we need to continue to tell those stories so that they're around for a long time.
1: And Tosca, now that you've been a part of a historical fiction novel, um, is your interest peaked to continue in this genre?
2: Um, this is a, a, the American historical fiction is new to me. I've done ancient historical fiction before. My next novel will be a medieval historical fiction. So, um, but you know what, I loved uh, living in this time period, and I loved gaining this um, kind of new knowledge and uh, understanding of what was going on. And I also loved being completely inspired by these these men who fought so bravely and these defenders of the time. So, Um, I would really like to return to that time period again. There's a sense of real nostalgia as well going on in the background of these stories that was um, somehow very, very comforting. And um, I would love to go back to that at some point. Um,
1: And Marcus, I know that you really focus on World War II and it's um, really what you're so good at, but as like you said, um, we're maybe 10 years away from not having World War II uh, survivors left on our, in our world, which is so sad. Um, do you think at all about coming more modern, you know, Afghanistan war, Iraq war, do you, you think about that?
0: I do. Yeah. And I've had a chance to collaborate, uh, with a number of veterans over the years from more modern wars. Uh, certainly Gary Bycrook from Vietnam, uh, in blaze of light, uh, Rob Kugler, a dog named beautiful, uh, did his book or helped him out as writing, his writing partner, uh, Travis mills, uh, quadruple amputee, uh, so the I, I think these stories are starting to emerge in new ways and uh, certainly we need to be aware of them absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Tosca, you just mentioned a second ago the next book you're working on uh, Marcus are you allowed to share with us what you're working on?
0: Unfortunately not I had to sign a uh, an NDA there not, <laughs> a non disclosure agreement so it's with a it's with an actor and he does a lot of work with the USO and so he's a he's a big supporter of veterans as well okay. so
2: Oh,
1: that's great. Um, so if you each, this question's for both of you, um, if you each had one overarching message that you really wanted this book to convey, um, what would that be and why?
2: Just the, um, the strength of the human spirit and the importance of absolute belief and conviction and what it is that you're fighting for and the importance of, of not only brotherhood, sisterhood, um, but sacrifice as well for your your fellow human and just the fact that we are so capable of inspiring other people through all of these things. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes it isn't until we get in these most dire circumstances that we see uh, just how much we are capable of um, inspiring others.
0: Hmm. As we think about Memorial Day, even uh, we have to um, understand this poignant mandate that we all have that this is not simply another long weekend uh, memorial day what does it truly mean and and it really it gets to the heart of the matter that freedom is not free i mean we hear that a lot but what does that truly mean you and i both all of us we've been handed this freedom that other people in generations past have uh, dearly paid for. It was a costly freedom. It is a costly freedom. So when when we begin to understand uh, the, the high price that's been paid for us, uh, that that affects the way we live. I think we become people of gratitude, and uh, we also become people of purpose. It's like, yeah, uh, I've I really got to go now and do something important with my life, or do something purposeful with my life uh, to 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 show gratitude for what has been given
1: to me. I'm so glad you, sh- you shared that and said that. And and not only do we need to remember those that have lost their lives, we need to remember and thank the family members who sacrificed their loved ones for our freedom, which is just as equally impo- as important. Um, so I want, to, I want to thank both of you for joining us today. Um, I know I keep saying this, but I can't say it enough. Your book is just so great. I'm going to recommend it to Everyone I possibly know, I recommend anyone who's watching this goes out and buy it. Um, we actually have signed copies of the book in our museum store. So if you just go to reaganlibrary.com store, uh, you can search their book and you can purchase a signed copy, um, which is really great as well. I wish the two of you the most success with this book and your future books. Um, and thank you both so much for joining us. I'm sure I'll see you both again. Thanks, Melissa. Signed copies of The Long March Home can be purchased through the Reagan Library Museum Store Every purchase you make from our catalog, website, or museum store is a critical component to our success. In short, your purchase supports our efforts to extend the legacy of President Ronald Reagan. Purchases can be made at reaganlibrary.com store. To find a listing of all upcoming events, please visit reaganfoundation.org events. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms.
0: Until next week, thanks for listening, and God bless you.
3: Don't forget to subscribe to A Reagan Forum podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of A Reagan Forum come out every Thursday. Like what you hear? Check out our Words to Live By podcast featuring radio addresses and speeches Ronald Reagan delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.